0: Well good morning again church. Then yeah, can we just say thank you to Candace and Ryan for leading us this morning? What an amazing time of worshiping our Lord and I want to throw up my hands. I love that and uh, I love that song and I get caught up in that. I was, I was mowing my grass yesterday and that song came on because I listened to the music while I mowing my grass and man I was like worshipping in the middle of my yard yesterday. it was good. Um, so uh, so in Kentucky, I love to keep sharing you my first because you know I'm from Florida and so I ex- I've experienced a lot of firsts in Kentucky. And uh, at the beginning of the summer, I experienced my first case of poison ivy and it has stayed with me for four weeks. It has been miserable. And, uh, and so uh, that was a first. And then this week, I experienced my first attack of yellow jackets. And um, man, those suckers hurt. I 'm just going to tell you and be real that that hurt. I may have said a word or two um, at first, I was plugging something into an outlet outside on our side porch and um, and I guess they built a nest in the outlet and um, and I thought I got electrocuted like I thought it went through my thumb and out my arm and then I realized no there 's a bite on my arm, and then I saw all these yellow jackets flying around and man they were like kamikaze on me, and so it was crazy and so I just like to entertain you with my firsts and so that you know you know what 's going on in the Connor household and as we uh, acclimate to Kentucky. And so, oh, I also learned a new Kentuckian word this week. Uh, so, you know, y'all know, you say waspers. I will not call them waspers, they're a wasp. Um, and, and I learned the word cooker this week. So um, uh, I didn't know that a pot is called a cooker. And uh, I, I make my chili in a pot, but y'all make it in a cooker. And so that was fun too. So I'm just learning a ton of things and, uh, and I love sharing uh, everything with you, my experiences with you. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so we are in Daniel. We're in the book of Daniel. Actually, today we're wrapping up the book of Daniel, and, uh, and, and if you are just joining us, uh, we have been going through this book for the past nine weeks. We've been going through the book of Daniel, and we're discovering and learning about this guy whose name is Daniel, and we've discovered that he was a prophet, and he was also a huge influencer in the name of God. And for God, and uh, and Daniel, if you remember, he was taken from his hometown as a teenager uh, in Jerusalem, and he was dropped into this foreign land under an evil ruler, and was able to follow God in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of living in a culture that didn't match his culture, in the midst of a a, a world that didn't value the same things as he did. He was able to continue to follow follow God and be faithful in following God in this place called Babylon. And so we've called this series Daniel Following God in Babylon. And we've been asking ourselves the question, how do I how do I live like Daniel? Like how do I live my life like Daniel lived his life, where I follow God? And I stick to my values and I don't compromise no matter what the circumstances. Like that's what we've been asking ourselves every week as we've taken a look at a different virtue or a different word that kind of comes out of the passages that we've been reading in Daniel. And so we've systematically uh, gone through all 12 chapters and we've looked at what he did. Actually, we'll finish 12 chapters today. And we looked at what he did and we looked at what he said and how he behaved in this foreign land in which he lived. And we've discovered some, like I said, some really important virtues of how he resolved to live his life uh, with conviction and without compromise, no matter what. And we think about the world in which we live in today and, and it's easy for us to begin to question our convictions or it's easy for us to begin to think about compromising the things that we believe in because the world that we live in is vastly different From the world in which God has called us to live. And we've discovered how he was a man of incredible humility and how uh, he dealt with those who were in authority over him with respect. And even though they shared different values than he did, we learned that he was a man of resolve, that he, he resolved early on in his life as a teenager that he was going to draw a line in the sand. And that he's going to say, these are the things that I'm convicted about. These are the things that I believe in. And I'm not going to cross that line no matter what. Uh, we discovered that and witnessed his hope. And his hope in the Lord, and we discovered that, uh, his courage and his integrity. And, and we saw his powerful prayer life last week. And we said last week, we said that the most important thing that you can do as you live in a culture that does not share the values that you share, that the most important thing that you can have is a powerful prayer life. And we unpacked what a powerful prayer life looks like. And if you missed it, I want to invite you and encourage you to go online and watch last week because it's so important that we have this prayer life. Because as we watched the life of Daniel, we realized that it was his prayer life that kept him going. That it was his prayer life, yes, that got him into the lion's den. But it was his prayer life that also got him out of the lion's den. Because when he prayed, God showed up in a big way. And last week, we ended by saying, what would it look like if we lived a prayer life and our prayer life was so powerful that every time that we prayed, that God showed up in a powerful way. And so we discovered this idea of prayer. And and, and that's what we want. That's what we want. We want to live our lives. And we want to live our lives with these virtues. And we want God to show up in big ways in our lives, because we also have followed the footsteps of Daniel and following God in Babylon, because we live in a cultural Babylon right now, and we need those virtues that Daniel has modeled for us, and today we're going to wrap up this series with one word, and it's, it's an important word. It's a word. It's perspective. It's perspective. And we're going to talk about this word perspective and how important it is for us as believers to have the right perspective. And I want you to think about it this way. I wonder, have you ever watched a sports game live and then watched it again recorded when you already know the outcome. Anyone ever done that before? You watched a game live and then you watched it over again uh, and and you watched it recorded. And and there's a difference, right? Like there was a huge difference between watching that game live and then watching it later recorded. And the difference was what? That you had a different perspective on the game. You knew how the game ended when you watched it the second time. Or or maybe, maybe you watched the finale of a TV show, right? You've been watching this TV show all season. Maybe you've been watching it for four seasons. Like right now, I'm watching Homeland. And I know some of you are like watching it already. I'm not, I'm just catching up. And I've been watching Homeland and I'm on season five right now. And there's like eight seasons. And, 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 and imagine watching the huge finale of a TV show where there's this huge shock that unfolds in real time and you watch it in real time and you're, you're gripping the side of your chair. You're like, man, I never saw that coming or maybe you're crying because you're like, man, there's some things that have been resolved and it's, it's an emotional thing and you're crying. And, and it was just a, a big deal when you watched it the first time. But then when you watch the rerun of it, it's just not the same because you have a different perspective because you know how the show ends. I remember uh, football. I'm so looking forward to college football. I love watching college football. And, and I'm a Florida Gator fan because I'm from Florida. And uh, don't boo me. Don't boo me. Like, you Kentucky fans, you were our whooping post for so many years. So Florida Gators, I was watching the Florida Gators play Alabama, Tim Tebow, and they came from behind, and they beat Alabama in the 2008 SEC championship game. And, and it was 20-17 it was to 17 in the fourth quarter, and Alabama was up by three. And Tebow leads the Gators to two unanswered touchdowns, and the game uh, ends 31-20. to 20. The Gators win. And I watched the game live, and I remember sitting in the couch, and I was, I was screaming and yelling. I get into football. Like, I, I'm, Jen leaves the house when I watch football. Like, Jackson's up in his room. He's doing what he always does. But, man, I'm on the couch, and I am screaming, and I am yelling. I'm jumping up and down, and I'm telling the refs to open their eyes. I mean, I was coaching that game from the couch like a pro. Like, if they would just listen to me, we wouldn't have been in the predicament that we were in. And the way I watched the game live knowing, uh, uh, without knowing how it ended was vastly different from when I watched it again knowing the outcome. When I watched the replays and I saw the, the Gators mess up, it was no big deal. Like I didn't, I didn't start yelling at the TV, I didn't start screaming, I didn't start coaching from the couch because I already knew how it turned out, I had a different perspective on the game watching it the second time. It was the same game, but two completely different reactions. That's perspective. And like I said, as believers, I think God wants us to have a perspective that the world does not have. Because here's what I know is that we, many oft- oftentimes many of us, we carry all this anxiety And we carry all this worry around with us when we see what's happening in the world, when we watch the news, when we see the events that are taking place in the world, when we see things happening in our community. uh, We get anxious and we get worried and and we, we worry and we start freaking out. But it doesn't have to be that way when we have the right perspective. When we have a perspective that God desires for his believers to have that the world doesn't have. And I think this is very important for us as Daniel comes to an end. And you see, in the last six chapters of Daniel, God paints a picture. He paints a picture of what the end is going to look like. And he tells us uh, the who and the what and the when and the where and the why of how things are going to unfold. And as you can imagine, just like the book of Revelation, the last section of Daniel it can be very uh, challenging to read. It can be, um, there, there's lots of imagery, there's lots of symbols, there's lots of things that we can get caught up in. And he tells us all of these things in the last chapters of Daniel and even in Revelation. He tells us these things not to, not to get us to live in fear. He's not trying to elicit a, a, a response of fear, but rather God tells us these things to stimulate a response of comfort and hope and anticipation. He tells us these things in Daniel and in Revelation so that we can look at it and not lose our faith, so that we can look at the world and not say, huh, oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. How are we going to survive? But then we can have a different perspective on the end. And so often when we think about the direction of where the world is going, we find ourselves reacting like we don't know how the world ends, when in fact, we do. But the reason God gives us these books of prophecy like Daniel and Revelation is so that we can have a big picture of what the end is going to look like so that we don't freak out and so that we have courage and hope. And so we might remain faithful so that we might remain faithful no matter what comes our way. That when we watch the news, when we see things happen, when we experience things in the world, we don't give up, but rather we have hope because we know how the end finishes. We have a different perspective. You see, God wants us to be very clear in Daniel and in Revelation, and we can get caught up in the details, and, and I'll share some of those details with you this morning, and some of you may be like, yeah, I'm not sure, and some of you may be like, oh, I never knew that, and we can get caught up in the details, but here's what we need to be very clear on, is that in the end, he wins, and he is gonna see us through the end times. You see, that's the perspective that God wants us to have as we read Daniel as we read Revelation and as we experience the world. Now up until this point, uh, we have been predominantly looking at uh, the narratives. We've talked about the narratives or the stories, right, of Daniel. And we've talked about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and, and the dream that he had. We talked about the story of the writing on the wall. We've looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and going through the fiery furnace. We've, we've, you all waited with anticipation for Daniel in the lion's den. You've been like, when are we going to talk about Daniel in the lion's den? And we did that and we went there and saw that and got the t-shirt and all that stuff. And so we've been through the stories But in chapters 7 through 12, there's a shift, and it turns more from these stories to these different prophecies that, again, are meant to help us remain faithful. And and so I decided, you know, what would it be like to take all five or six of these chapters in the end of Daniel and put them into one 20-minute sermon? That'd be fun, right? Right? Like, that's going to be a lot of blast. That's going to be a blast. So, but what we're really going to do, we're not going to do all of them, but we're going to take the last few verses of chapter 11 and the first few verses of chapter 12 and, and, and see that in this picture that God gives Daniel a big picture of what's to come so that Daniel and the people of God and us today would have a perspective a perspective that would result in comfort and courage and boldness in living our lives in obedience to God. So today, I want you to leave here with a different perspective on the end of the world. Now, we're gonna move fast, and I'm gonna throw a lot at you at once, so I would just say these words, buckle up, buttercup, because it's gonna get crazy. And we're going to read a lot. And we're going to jump between Daniel 11 and Revelation 13 and Daniel 7 and and Daniel 12. So there's going to be a lot of jumping around. Uh, Maybe you want to take some notes. But here's what I would encourage you. Don't get caught up in the nitty gritty. Don't get lost in the weeds. But keep the big picture in mind. Because that's the important part. Because here's what I know. Is that in the end, there is a perspective that God wants to give you and me. And that's what I want you to hear today is that perspective. So Daniel is at the end of his life. And he has experienced all these evil kings, and, uh, and God is like, listen, he's like, Daniel, and, and, and we see this in Daniel chapter 11, he's like, Daniel, you think those kings were bad? You haven't seen anything yet. Like, you can't imagine what's coming around the corner. So the first thing we see this is that the end will begin with a world ruler. The end will begin with a world ruler that will be much worse than all of the others much worse than anything that Daniel's experienced, much worse than anything that we have experienced. And look Daniel 11, look at Daniel eleven thirty six 36 with me. In the beginning, it says, the king will do as he pleases. So he's talking about this world leader, this future world leader. And he's like, listen, Daniel, this king will do whatever he wants. He will do as he pleases. Now, let's just recap real fast what we've learned already. In Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel... Uh, uh, interprets the dream of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. There was a statue, remember? There was this huge statue of these different kings and kingdoms. But we also saw in Daniel chapter 7 that there was another vision, and there were these four beasts, and uh, the four beasts that represented the same things that the statue represented. And this comes into play when thinking about who is this world leader that's going to conquer the entire world. And Daniel 2 talks about that statue, again, that was made with a head of gold. That's where it began. It began with a head of gold that represented King Nebuchadnezzar. And we talked about that. And we talked about how it represented the Babylonian Empire. We jumped over to Daniel chapter 7 later on. And we realized that he was describing it as the winged lion. And we talked about that beast, the winged lion. And Daniel two, we talked about uh, the next part of the statue was his chest and his arms, and that those were made of silver, and that represented um, and, and then the 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 uh, the, the um oh, I just left my mind the uh, Persian, and uh, and 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 then in Daniel seven, it describes it as a bear. And then it goes on in the statue and we go down to the midsection uh, of the statue and it was made of bronze and the thighs were made of bronze in Daniel chapter two, which represented the Greeks and Alexander the Great. And then we talked about in Daniel seven that there was this leopard, this beast that looked like a leopard that was moving quickly throughout the world, conquering everything, which is what Alexander the Great did. He conquered everything by the age of 31. But then we eventually got to the legs the legs of the statue that were made of iron, which represented Rome and the Roman Empire that was yet to come. But in Daniel chapter 7, it was the iron beast that had 10 horns and And look at how Daniel describes him in chapter 7. And this is what the, Daniel 11 is talking about And when he says that it will be a king that does as he pleases. Daniel 7, 8, it says, While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And this horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And so it's as if this little horn uh, had to kill these three other rulers and these horns represent the political leaders of the time. And, uh, and, and this, is a, this world leader begins to take over. Uh, and, and, and Revelation 13 gives us a little more detail. And so if you flip over to Revelation 13, or maybe you don't want to flip, but you just read along and then write it down. But verses one and two says this, it says, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. And remember it had 10 horns and seven heads and with 10 crowns on its horns and on each head, a blasphemous name. And the beast, check this out, the beast that I saw resembled a leopard but it had feet like those of a bear and the mouth like that of a lion. Does that sound familiar to you? And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And so this beast that's coming out, uh, it represents the beast that we find in Daniel chapter seven. And then we see this dragon. And this dragon is, is in Revelation 13, it represents the ultimate enemy, Satan who was trying to destroy God's people. And this beast is the world leader and the dragon gives all his power and authority to the beast. And so one of the things that God shares with Daniel and that he also shares with the Apostle John in Revelation is this idea that there is going to be a world leader that will rise at some point. And well, what is this world leader gonna do? Well, the world leader will, the end will begin with a world leader ruler that will propagate a world religion. So look back at Daniel chapter eleven thirty six. 36. It says again, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. And he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regards for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt who? Himself above all of them. So in the end, he's not only going to rule the world, but he's going to tell everyone else, you will worship me. And let's look at how Daniel describes it in chapter seven. He says this in verse 25, he says, of this world leader, he will speak against the Most High, that's God, and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, that's like a weird thing, right? Time, times, and a half time. And, and he's going to persecute. So what Daniel is saying is this world leader is going to persecute the followers of God. And Why? because they refuse to worship the beast. But there's a time limit on this, that his time will expire. He only has so much time. And it says this, it says, but only for a time, times and a half a time. And I'm like, well, how, when I read that, I'm like, what, how long is that? What does that mean? And it seems to be three and a half times that that phrase meant three and a half times. And I thought, well, three and a half times what? And many believe that it would say uh, three and a half years. That some scholars say three and a half years. And why would they say that? Well, because if you look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, here's what it says It says, One of the beasts, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. They're, They're mesmerized by the beast. And people worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise its authority for how long? 42 months. And if you do the math, I did the math for you, 42 months is three and a half years. And so potentially there's coming this time in the future where there's going to be this three and a half year period where not only is this world leader uh, leading politically and politically reigning over everyone, but he's also religiously reigning over the earth. And those that get in the way, either politically, uh, militarily, or religiously will meet their own doom. And it's going to be gruesome. And it's going to be a hard time for those of us who follow God. And Revelation continues and says this in chapter 13, verse six, it says, it opened its mouth the beast did, to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place in those who live in heaven. Paul talks about this world leader in 2 Thessalonians, and here's what he says. He says that this person is a man of lawlessness who will go to the temple and sit himself on the throne and declare to be God. That's who this beast is. That's who this world leader is. And so the author of Daniel and the Apostle John in Revelation and, and Paul in Second Thessalonians are laying this out. And why? So that God's people will be aware. And so that God's people will be ready. And so that God's people will have a perspective that no one else has as it unfolds in real time. But then it goes on even further. And it goes on to say this, that the end will begin with a world ruler who will propagate a world religion inducing a world war. Now, we all would agree that World War II was a horrific war and we saw so many losses there. It was bad. It was ugly. Nothing, it, it, it's nothing compared to what we are going to see in the next verses in Daniel chapter 11, starting in verse 40. It says, at the time of the end, the king of the south... Whoever that is, the king of the south, it, if, you, if you think of it from the perspective of an Israelite, the king of the south uh, would be someone that, that, where this king is setting up camp, which is Israel. Um, the verses of the king of the south, it may be someone of African descent uh, coming up through Egypt or Ethiopia or Libya, uh, which are different countries that are mentioned in this passage. But we don't know. We don't know who the king of the south is. But it says the king of the south will engage him in battle. Uh, in verse 45, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. So there's this enormous battle that is going to take place, but it goes on in verse 41 and says, and he will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. So apparently modern-day Jordan is not going to be harmed. But then verse 42, it says, He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and the Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him. So there's this battle that comes from the south, and, and he wins the battle, but as he's setting up camp in Israel, there is news. He gets news that, that the east and the north are coming together to cause him great alarm. And it says he will set out in verse 44, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas and the, the beautiful uh, holy mountain. So there's this huge battle that's gonna take place in the south. And then there's news of invasion from the north and the east. And so the enemy decides to set up camp in Israel with the sea on one side and Jerusalem on the other. And Revelation talks in more detail about it in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. And I know I'm throwing a lot of verses at you, but hang on. It says The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and it was dried, the water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So there is this message that is going uh, to possibly in demonic nature that's going to spread. And it says they are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God almighty. So these messengers go out into the world and say, listen, there's gonna be this huge world war that's gonna take place. And so as these kings are getting ready to engage in battle, there is this message that is sent out saying, I need you to come, this great battle is taking place and this war is going to be much bigger than anything we've seen. And in the very next verse, Jesus speaks up and says this in verse 15, look, I come like a thief, Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. In other words, Jesus is like, I want you to have perspective on all of this. I want you to know that this is coming. And as the rest of Revelation unfolds, I want you to know what the end looks like. Jesus is like, I want you to have the big picture so that you are aware, so that you are awake, and so that you know how to be able to act. Like, I don't think Jesus is like, I want you to know every nitty gritty detail because we can read Revelation and we can try and figure out all the nitty gritty details of the end times and we could spend years doing that. But here's what Jesus wants us to know and the purpose is that I want you to know the big picture, the 30,000 view, feet views so that you're aware so that you're awake and so that you know how to be able to act. And so let's recap real quick real quick the end will begin with a world leader who will propagate a world religion inducing a world war resulting in his end. So Daniel 11 ends with these verses in 40 and with this verse in 45 it says yet he the enemy will come to his end. And no one will help him. Daniel chapter seven verses twenty one through twenty two describes it this way: it says, "As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until, and this is a huge word, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in a fate in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So, how did this world leader lose?" Well, I'll tell you how he lost. It's three words. God showed up. God showed up. In the end, God showed up. And how did God show up? How does God show up? I love Revelation 19 because it describes this amazing moment, right? This amazing moment where the heavens open up and the heavens open up and you hear the saints singing hallelujah over and over and over and you see, every Sunday when we gather for worship, we just get like a small little picture of what that's gonna be like. When we join our voices together in worship of the Lord and we sing hallelujah like we did earlier this morning, that's just a small, 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 small example of what the end times are gonna look like as the heavens open up and the saints of heaven are singing hallelujah and then out comes a rider a rider on a white horse, and who's on the horse? None other than Jesus himself, and he is prepared for battle, and he's bringing his army with him, and that's how it ends, and look at Revelation nineteen nineteen. It says, then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. You see, the enemy thought that the battle was going to be against all these armies, against all the armies of the world, but it turns out to be a battle against Jesus and his second coming. And here's what verse 20 says. It says, but, and I get excited. Anytime I see the word but in the, in the, in the, in the Bible, I get excited. Like, I'm like, oh, something's good about to happen. Because anytime in the Bible it says but, it's like, but something's good about to happen. And here's what it says in Revelation. It says, but the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on, it, on its behalf. And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So, but Jesus comes and the enemy is destroyed. That's the But. That's what we should get excited about. That's the end of the story. That's the end, and the guy basically the end of how Daniel's vision ends. And the question for us is well, what's the big deal? Why is it so important that we know what this vision and what this dream is about? Why is it so important that we understand Revelation? And I would say it's so important for us because many people read this. And it conjures up fear and anxiety, but that's not the purpose of Daniel and that's not the purpose of Revelation. It was never designed to create fear and anxiety in us. In fact, the point of Daniel is simply this, and it's that a future world leader who propagates world religion inducing a world war will not be enough to defeat God because nothing can storm the gates of hell and win. I mean, the gates of heaven and win. God wins. Nothing is able to defeat God. It doesn't matter how much evil enters into the world. It doesn't matter how much power a particular person has. It can even have the full backing of Satan himself, and it won't be enough because in the end, God is victorious. And the purpose of bringing up these verses It's not for us to get caught up in the, what was it, really three and a half years? Or is it not? Is that what it meant? Is it a post-millennial, pre-millennial, and mid-millennial? Like, we don't, that's not the purpose. It's not to get caught up in all that. The purpose of these verses is to be able to have a better perspective, to see the crazy things that are happening in the world and be able to say, you know what? I know that it seems crazy. Like I know that it seems like the world is falling apart, but I know how the story ends. Like I fast forwarded to the end and I know how the story ends and Jesus will triumph and those who follow him will be delivered. That's how the story ends. And so the point of these prophecies is to give us a fresh perspective on the world in which we live in. And that's the perspective we must have, that God gets the W, God gets the win, that he is victorious, that nothing can overcome our God. Daniel chapter 12, verses one through three, wraps it up and says this. Verse one, at the time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at your time, but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the book will be delivered. God's like, Daniel, it's going to be hard. It's going to get ugly. It's going to be like something you've never seen before. But there will be people who will be delivered. And then there will be people that won't be delivered. Verse two says, multitudes who sleep in the dust, those who've already died, uh, dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. So there will be these two resurrections that are gonna happen, one for those who are far from God and one for those who have given their life to Jesus. You see, God's people will be delivered. God's people will be delivered from death through resurrected bodies. You see when we place our trust in God, we know that Jesus we know that like Jesus we too will rise from the dead. And the story that we're writing with our lives, the story that you and I are writing with our lives, listen, there's going to be typos. There's going to be mess-ups, there's going to be screw-ups, there's going to be mishaps. But we have a savior. We have a savior in Jesus who died for our sins and who rose from the dead guaranteeing our resurrection. And this promise of resurrection is a hope, is a hope, is our hope when it comes to the end of our lives. And regardless of where we stand with God, I want you to hear this, that one day we will be resurrected. And for those who trust in our Lord Jesus, we will be raised to eternal life. And those who have rejected God will be raised to eternal separation from God. And this picture, this perspective, this perspective, Again, it's meant to give us comfort. It's meant to give us courage, but it's also meant to give us a mission. It really is meant to give us a mission. You see, verse three, it says this. It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And as God is saying this to Daniel, I just have a picture in my mind Of God giving David a little wink, or giving Daniel a little wink, and saying, Hey, Daniel, does that sound like anyone you know? Like, dude, you have lived most of your life in exile in Babylon, and yet you have lived with wisdom, and you have turned many to righteousness. And when your day comes to an end, he says, You will rise and you will be resurrected. And you will shine like the brightness of the sky above and the stars forever and ever. Listen, church, here's another perspective on this passage. That not only is it to give us hope and courage, but it's also to give us a mission. Like Daniel, to bring as many people, as many people into the righteousness of God as we can to share our story with every man and every woman and every child so that they too might be resurrected to life forever with God. That's a perspective. And I hear so many people say, but Pastor Rick, you, you just don't understand how hard it is to share Jesus in the world we live in. And I would say, you know what? It wasn't as hard as it was for Daniel. Daniel lived in a place where nobody shared the values that he shared, where nobody believed in the things that he believed in. And yet at the end of the story, God said, Daniel, you brought many to me. And because of your faithfulness, you will shine like the stars forever and ever. I don't know about you. But I want God to say that about me. I want God to wink at me and say, hey, Rick, does that sound like anyone you know? You lived a life of wisdom resolved not to compromise your convictions. You lived a life of humility and courage and boldness, and you brought many into my kingdom. And because of that, you will shine bright like the stars forever and ever. Church, not only does Daniel and Revelation give us a perspective of comfort and hope, but it should also give us a perspective of, man, I got a lot to do. I got to share Jesus with a lot of people. I don't want others to experience eternity separated from my God but rather I want them raised to life with Jesus that's the mission so as we look at Daniel and we wrap it up my hope is that you will walk away today with a different perspective different perspective than the world has on the things that are happening in the world. We don't have to be freaking out. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worried because we know how the story ends, right? We know how the story ends. I can watch that 2008 championship game over and over now. I don't get nearly as excited. I don't get nearly freaked out because I know how it ends. But the same is true the world we live in we have a different perspective than the world does because we know that in the end of the end that god is victorious jesus comes on a horse through the clouds as the heavens open up and the words hallelujah are sung over and over and over Father God, you are so good. God, you are amazing. And God, I love that we can have a different perspective on this life that we live. A perspective that says no matter how crazy the world seems to be getting, that we know how the story ends. We know that at the end of times, that you are victorious. God, may we live that perspective in our daily lives. And Father, may that perspective give us a desire and a boldness to not keep that story to ourselves, but to share that story with every person that we come in contact with, that they too may know that there's a God that loves them. and There's a God that wins in the end that God can be their God if they would just say yes to Jesus. If that's you and you're sitting there in your seat today and maybe you've never given your life to Christ or maybe you've walked away from Jesus, you said, you know what, the church has hurt me or or, I don't know, I've walked away, that maybe today would be the day that you would declare that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that you would return like the prodigal son and come back to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, it's just a simple declaration that you make. There's not a formula for it. The Bible just says, if you will believe in your heart and you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So if that's you today, confess. God, I have lived my life without you. I have walked away from you. I have lived a life of sin, but today I want to live my life for you. Would you come and be my Lord and Savior? I invite you into my life right here, right now in this place. Come and transform me. Come and change me from the inside out. Be my Lord. Be my Savior today you, just invite the Lord in. You don't, you don't have to understand it all. You can even say, God, I don't understand it all, but I know I want you. I want you in my life. I invite you in. Come, Lord Jesus. And for the rest of us, maybe today is just a wake-up call. Maybe the wake-up call is, you know what? I don't know if God would say, to me that I'm gonna shine like the stars because I haven't been sharing my story. I haven't been telling others about Jesus. I haven't even been living my life the way I should. And maybe today is the day that you come and you just repent of that, confess. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being a coward. I'm sorry for being ashamed. I'm sorry for not holding to my convictions. Today, I'm being resolved. I'm drawing the line in the sand and saying, you know what? Starting today, I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to tell others about the great things that you're doing. I'm going to live with a different perspective on life. Just tell them. Just share it with your, with God today. Father, would you just come in your Holy Spirit? Would you just do the work of convicting in the lives of the people in front of me? And in my life, God, would you convict me? Would you burn away the junk in my life so that I might be more uh, more like you, so that I might be transformed and, and so that I might be bold and courageous and share you with people more and more? Lord, we want to be that light in the sky. We want to shine bright for you. We want to be a city on a hill. We want to be the light of the world so that others might see you and not spend eternity separated from you, but spend eternity in your presence with you. Come, Jesus. Speak to us now. In your name we pray. As we prepare to sing this closing song, I want to invite you in that spirit of prayer. If you want to come and spend time in prayer, you come up front. This is our altar area. It may not look like an altar you grew up with, but it's an altar area you come and spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right there on the front row. Or grab someone near you and say, hey, come pray with me. And come and spend time praying. But let's stand together and and as that picture of the heavens opening up and the, the saints singing together with all their voices, hallelujah, let us worship our Lord knowing that there's victory in Jesus.